This week's podcast brought to you by Smokes on Spokes. This Saturday, our seven-year-old daughter had a softball game, and she was unusually engaged. It was unbelievably hot. I think they had four kids. Everybody was traveling for the holiday weekend, playing another team with four or five kids. So she had to cover a lot of ground in the infield, playing shortstop, playing really the whole left side of the infield. And I was proud of her after the game. I said, you were really active out there. Great job. Uh, You were really looking alive. And she said to me, I was being chased by a bee the whole game. Says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. So I may have seen my first drug deal of my life this week. I was going to a park and as I tried to pull in, I couldn't because the car in front of me just stopped out of the blue. And as soon as he stopped quickly on a bicycle, another guy came up to the driver's side and I see the guy on the bike hand the driver a bag full of something and the driver then handed the guy on the bike back money. And of course, I don't know exactly what was being exchanged in the bag, but it definitely looked like a drug deal. And all those years I lived in New York City uh, playing for the Liberty or just was in college and just a a living, breathing person. I don't know if this stuff was happening around me. I just didn't notice it or if it wasn't happening around me. But this is the first time I, I at least saw something and it registered in my brain. Oh, that looks like a drug deal. You don't know if it was happening around you in college or in New York City. Well, I mean, of course it was, but I don't know that... I I never saw something happen where my brain thought... Nobody ever offered to sell you weed in in Washington Square Park? No one one has ever offered to sell me weed anywhere. Have people offered to sell you weed in Washington Square Park? And you've never offered to sell anyone weed in Washington Square Park? (laughs) No, I haven't done that either. Why? Have people actually offered to sell you stuff of course i have the, uh, need i remind you that that seconds after i proposed to you in central park on a picnic blanket a guy came by with a stolen shopping cart full of malt liquor no you're selling wasn't it he water? was selling water and and malt liquor and i imagine if you wanted to buy some something else off him you probably could have well but that's not that not that much different from the flight attendant pushing a cart down the aisle and offering to sell me malt liquor. She's not offering to sell me weed. It's, it's two it's, very different well, things. It's not all that different. And and the fact that this gentleman you saw near the park was on wheels. Perhaps it is a Meals on Wheels-like yes. program, you know, Smokes on Spokes. There, there you go. I think uh, I think you should trademark that. I um, Back when I was playing in New York, I, I, we would walk through the park regularly, and I had plenty of people say things to me, never, never to sell me any illicit drugs but my favorite was the guy who was kind of sleeping on the park bench who uh who sat up and, i was with you and and what exactly did he say we were he walking said, through central park and uh he said he sat up from beneath his blanket of of tabloid newspapers i'm not making this up yeah and he said something oh he said he said i'd like to see you get more playing time yes he was sleeping in the box scores and right. and the sports sections and that's all he said yeah that that's my second favorite new york moment uh, with a fan too i was in mass once in in manhattan and uh, we used to live in uh, in an apartment or a, like a long-term stay hotel that that was right across from madison square garden and across from that was a church and i remember being in the church one sunday and at the handshake of peace, the guy in front of me turned around and at, instead of saying, peace be with you, he said, you need to get tougher on the boards. <laughs> That's such a New York thing. You're supposed to say, peace be with you. And he said, you need to get tougher on the board. And did you grab him by the lapels and say, listen, pal, you tried dragging Walton and Lanier up and down the floor <laughs> for 48 minutes. Yeah, you tried drag, dragging Leslie and Thompson up and down the floor for 40 minutes. That's what I should have responded. You should have. Last Thursday, I worked a WNBA game for ESPN. And uh, 
it was the Los Angeles Sparks at the Connecticut Sun. And we tried something a little bit different where instead of the analysts being at the announce table, which is across the court from the benches, uh, Carol Lawson and I were calling the game and I sat kind of right next to the Connecticut Sun bench and she sat next to the LA Sparks bench. Every time out, we're listening to their huddles and we're right near the coaches. And so there's different things that you can hear that you would never hear when you're calling a game in the normal way. And my favorite, my absolute favorite moment of the game was Kurt Miller, the Connecticut Sun coach, was getting worked up about the officiating. And at one point, uh, Sue Blau, a a referee, made a call that he didn't like. And as she's coming down the floor, uh, he said to her, that's your warning. That's your warning. Because, of course, the officials give coaches a warning when the coaches are saying things to them. Like, that call was so bad. That's your warning. And I thought it was one of the funniest things I've ever heard at a game. And if I was a referee and somebody said something that was funny like that, I would never give them a technical unless something completely egregious happened. Like if I was the referee and Kurt Miller said that to me, that would go in my memory bank and I would think that was funny. Every time I I referee one of his games, I will never give him a technical foul. I just thought that was the highlight of, uh, of the game. And actually Kurt Miller and I were talking before the game because he had recently moved out of his big home that he was in in Indiana when he was the coach at IU and moved into a smaller house. And he was talking about, you know, all the stuff that you accumulate and getting rid of stuff. And we've talked about this on the podcast before about how people have started sending me back jerseys, signed pictures, that sort of thing. And he, up until a couple- Stuff they no longer want. Stuff they no longer want. And so until a couple years ago, he had been in a a long-term relationship and his partner had been a New York Liberty fan from the early days and owned, I think, a couple Rebecca Lobo jerseys. And Kurt was telling me he didn't quite know what to do with them. And I said, well, just do what everybody else does when they no longer want something and just give it back to me. So so the the latest indignity is... Not fans giving me back their crud, but now somebody that I cover, a coach in the WNBA, is going to give me back his partner's old Rebecca Lobo jersey. So it's there you a, go. It's kind of a sweet circle of life thing, though. Kind of like the swallows returning to Capistrano every year or, or birds flying back um, from from their winter south. You, you mail out these jerseys, you sign the pictures, And someday, 20, 25 years later, they come back to you. If only I had sent them out. These these people had gone and purchased them on their own and now are sending them back. It was who would want who could possibly they thought who would want a Rebecca Lobo Liberty jersey in two thousand and eighteen and they could only come up with one name. (laughs) Rebecca Lobo. Yes. It was at this same game. I was sitting over on that the other side of the court. And um, a woman came over, a fan, and, uh, and she was very, very nice. But she came over and said, Rebecca, I never thought I'd get to meet you. And not only did she shake my hand, but then she pulled me in and she gave me a kiss on the cheek. And it was a wet, <laughs> slobbery kiss on the cheek. And um, I was just thinking, I am lucky that I am not a germaphobe or that um, that kind of thing doesn't completely skeeve me out. I didn't I didn't particularly enjoy it um, just because it was wet and slobbery. But um, but these are the things that (laughs) that, you know, that make life fun. (laughs) Well, two nights later, you worked another Connecticut Sun game and I went with the kids. All of their basketball teammates went. And uh, it was an interesting uh, opportunity to meet the public. I'm somebody who seldom leaves the house. True. Certainly uh, only under duress. and Only to get your smokes on spokes. Only to get my smokes on spokes (laughs) to deliver them. Right. It's kind of like my lift gig now. And and yet I, I delivered our children to their basketball teammates in one section of the arena. Then I was walking back to where I was sitting with our son and his friend when I was summoned by a, would I call it a fan, who shouted, Rebecca's husband. <laughs> so what did you do? Did so you just... I turned and, and said, I have a name, you know, and my eyes are up here. <laughs> You're right. No, I, uh, I said hello. 
and she claims to be a uh, longtime listener. And yet, I'm sure we've mentioned my name on the podcast before. Well, maybe we need to mention it again, Steve. Yeah, well, the funny thing, because I think that game, I was doing one of their local broadcasts, which are, are a little bit different, and especially in the fact that we are on air like for eight minutes before the game starts, where an ESPN game, you're on for 30 seconds and you go to tip. Well, local, local broadcast, it's eight minutes. And then at the half of an ESPN game, we have studio that does the half. Well, for a local telecast, we're doing it. And so at some point, we're talking about stats or something. That we're on camera, and one of the fans comes up behind, behind me and starts tapping my shoulder while talking to me. And I can't turn around and I can't say to her, we're on air because we're on air. And so I'm waving her off rudely with my hand, but I didn't quite, <laughs> I didn't quite know how to just say, we're on TV right now and people can see you tapping my shoulder you, and talking you, to me. You should have given her a warning. <laughs> That's your first warning. And another That's guy, your warning. <laughs> another nice gentleman came up to me after the game and... Um, I was trying to corral several kids, not all of them my own. Uh, I was just trying to get four kids to take home, some of them my own, as long as you know we had we had the full car. And uh, he patiently waited while I did this, and then he said that he was a he was a, enjoyed the podcast, but he could see now that uh, I was living the podcast in real time in front of him, and uh, he made some comment along the lines of, I think this was the exact quote. I don't envy you. <laughs> well, Rebecca's husband. I said, I don't envy you either. <laughs> Sir, I said, you are not alone. <laughs> Speaking of, of meeting the ball and chain public, I was out in public again the following day on, so on Sunday. So two days in a row two that you row. were out in public? Out in public. Well, you took one of our children to get their hair cut, and I took another of our children next door to where the haircut place was to uh, Barnes & Noble. And uh, while she was browsing in the kids section, I was browsing in the grown-up section. I thought I heard somebody say under their breath, Steve. Not Rebecca's husband, but Steve. I, but there were other Steves, and I, I thought nothing of it and kept browsing. The second time I passed this person, I was fairly certain I heard him say a little louder, ball and chain. Now you talk about an illicit drug deal. I was like, what, is this some <laughs> secret code? that?" So I looked up. And uh, it was a nice young gentleman who uh, asked me if I was me. I said yes. He said he was a, a big ball and chain listener and that he had recently been on Viewer Mail as the guy who had uh, binge listened to the podcast and then read all of my books in some short period of time. He said he was ashamed to say that he had gotten the books out of the library, even though clearly as a book buyer he was browsing in Barnes & Noble. I said, there's no shame in that. I love the library. We had um, actually just come from the library right before you went to Barnes & Noble. We had. We had. So uh, I began chatting with him. Later, I got you from the... Uh, you from... came over as, as we're leaving the place where our daughter got her hair cut and said, uh, just come with me. Yes, just come with we me. Have like to, another... we, have to meet the, we have to meet the public. But, but you didn't say anything like that. You just said, just, just come with me. Trust me. Just come with me. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what I said to you. but Like but you were my we secret in, service guy. My, my point is that, that after I, I introduced you to Matt in West Hartford, and after we'd been chatting for several minutes, he was there with his sister. He has a six-year-old son. Um, he said a couple of times, I'll let you go now. And... and... We wouldn't go. We wouldn't. We wouldn't leave. We were the, once again the things that wouldn't leave. Right. And uh, it reminded me if anybody has seen the Steve Martin Martin Short uh, stand-up special, it's on Netflix now. They've toured the country doing it. Steve Martin tells a story about meeting Elvis backstage at a, I think, at a stand-up gig in the '70s in Las Vegas before Steve Martin was as huge as he would become in 1978. And uh, Elvis came up to him and told him, you know, how funny he was, etc. And then a guy came up to Elvis and said, Elvis, we got to go. And Elvis said to the guy, it's okay. And that's when Steve Martin realized that Elvis had a guy whose sole job was to get him out of conversations that Elvis didn't want to be involved with. And so Elvis began showing Steve Martin the two guns that he was carrying. And he emptied the, emptied the bullets from one and handed, him, handed Steve Martin the, uh, the pearl-handled Derringers. And Steve Martin had the 
Elvis had the bullets in his hand and Steve Martin had the pistols in his hand and Elvis was describing these guns to him. And that's when Steve Martin realized, I need a guy to get me out of this conversation <laughs> with Elvis. Just think and that's when, that's when listener Matt in West Hartford realized he needed a guy to get him out of the conversation with us. We've, uh, we've got four of those living in our house, but it's usually when you and I are trying to have a conversation and one of our kids comes over, we've got to go, we've got to go. It reminds me also that at Barnes & Noble, when I purchased a book, the lady behind the counter, very nice, said, um, do you have a membership? I said, yes. What's your phone number? I gave her the phone number. It's in your name. So she said, she looked it up on the computer and she said, Rebecca Lobo? And I said, yes. And she said, like the basketball player? And I said, yes. And she said, what a coincidence. <laughs> and I said, well, it's not actually a coincidence. I stole Rebecca Lobo's <laughs> membership yes. card. She, she is the basketball player. But anyway, the, uh, the surprising thing about meeting Matt at Barnes & Noble was the fact that he recognized me when I wasn't wearing my monocle. <laughs> yeah. How's, how's your monocle going, by the way? Have you um, been using it to read? We haven't gone out to dinner, so you haven't been able to... Well, I, I will say it is easier to read with, with two lenses rather than one, with one eye closed and doing a Popeye well, expression to hold the, the monocle in. What's but... the history of the monocle? Like, what... Why was there ever a monocle? Did it come before glasses? Did it come after glasses? Like, what's the point of the monocle other than as an affectation? Well, it's an awesome affectation. I, I think it was a family of spectacles along with the pince-nez, the thing you hold on a stick that has two lenses, but you You, you just wanted to say pince-nez? I did. I Is that the thing you wear at the, at the opera? Yeah, opera glasses, <laughs> the little binoculars. Yep. Um, so in my in my retirement, when I start birding as a verb, I'll, I'll find, I'm sure, all kinds of prescription eyewear that I didn't know existed. You're going to start birding in your retirement? Is that anything to do with Sue or is it just... Larry. <laughs> um, well, if anyone... If anyone knows anything about you, um, especially I'm, I'm as it relates go, to the Hall of Fame, they'll know about you and birding. Yes, I'm going to go birding. I'm going to try to spot Sue Bird and spot Larry Bird <laughs> in their natural habitat. Yes. Um, and, and when we left Barnes & Noble, I, I should add, we went to a place, speaking of Pince-Nez, we went to a place called Sur la Table. Sur la Table. A kitchen place. Sur la Table is French for on the table. And it occurred to me while we were there that I want to open a bar in retirement and call it Sulatab, under the table. <laughs> well, you and I have actually talked about in the past about opening a bar that's also a bookstore and uh, in a barn. Yes. And it's going to be called... One of many barns around here. Yes. And, and uh, they're dilapidated, often falling down, but they have to be maintained as a barn. If you purchase it, you can't tear it down. And not that we're in the business of buying up barns, but... You had this great idea. That we would call it Barnes and No Bull. It would be a place where you would go and read books and but, drink but the, beer. The and... No Bull was because it was only, they only sold nonfiction. This was right, a terrible right. idea. It wouldn't, not even Barnes. We would only buy one of them. How many Barnes can you buy? Barn and No Bull. And No Bull. I still think it's a very good I idea. Think I think what I like best about that is you take the position that fiction is... Bold, or that non- like like they're really trying to pull a fast one on you here. <laughs> or that nonfiction is noble. Is yes. noble, right. yes. yes, or noble. Yes, the death this past week of your favorite author Philip Roth. Oh, that I, was he I, writing bull? That or was that, he writing? Was he was he writing? No, uh, he was just writing brilliant word after brilliant word. I I've been a Phil Roth. I came late to the Philip Roth. I thought you uh, almost said. Phil Roth. The, the Philip Roth deal. So Marty Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just walking through the Barnes & Noble on the Upper West Side back in, I don't know, the late 90s, early 2000, and, uh, and saw The Human Stain and just picked it up and said, oh, this looks like an interesting book. And I read it and loved it and just started reading Philip Roth novel after Philip Roth novel. I'm actually, after... Um, you know, after his passing last week, I was thinking, I'm going to need to read some of his novels again. But yeah, he's absolutely second to Steve Rush. Oh, nonsense. My, nonsense. My favorite nonsense. novelist of all time. If, if you had to choose your favorite Connecticut authors beginning with R, I wouldn't be, certainly wouldn't <laughs> be in the top one. Well, Nor should I be. Well, just to make it easy for me to remember, um, 
I don't have any idea which account it is, but but sometimes there's the pat, you know, if you something to do with your password and then they ask you different questions to answer to make sure it's you. On occasion, the question is who is your favorite author? And um just in case I was ever asked, my answer is Steve Russian. So there you go. Wow. You at least help me there. <laughs> now, if, 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 if something, God forbid, ever happened to you and I had to guess your security passwords in order to transfer, uh, I don't know, to the title, the title to, to the bill. minivan into my name or something, yes. And, it, and I got the security question, what is Rebecca Lobo, who is Rebecca Lobo's favorite author? I'd be sitting there for a good 45 minutes before I even dared Adventure, I guess. Well, that actually makes me think weirdly. I remember when, when, when my mother was dying the last couple months of her life, and one of the things she had to do was teach my father how to pay bills because in the entirety of their marriage, he never did. Early on, she was the one who wrote the checks, and then later on, she was the one who electronically paid their bills. And I remember her, you know, meticulously writing down in a notebook, the username and passwords for the electric company, the phone company, this, that, and the other thing so that she could teach him how to do that. I have no idea who she put down as her favorite author, but heaven forbid anything like that ever happens to me, I'd have to do the same thing for you because you would have absolutely no idea what usernames or passwords are for anything when it comes to keeping this this house of ours running. <laughs> I don't know my own passwords. I think we've no, talked I know. about the past. You, you, have a, you have written down a list but I, I, of your passwords, of the things that you do, four and you or five still pages forget long. them. Well, I don't, I don't know where the list is anymore. That's not a joke. I know, I know. And it's a problem because you'll come out and say to me, I can't do whatever because I don't know the password for this account. I can't update. I can't do this. As if it's my fault or as if I'm supposed to have any idea. And usually I just then come in and try to find your list your piece of paper with all of your username and pa- usernames and passwords on it. It's just, it's a pretty comical uh, I think, experience. I think you see where this is going. This is going to an old age in which I refer to you, Reagan and Pence style as mommy. <laughs> just make monocle your password for everything. Monocle number 33 exclamation mark. Well, now I can't do and, that because people will we'll, know. And you'll be good. People will know that uh, that's my password. I should, I should say, while I'm thinking of it, that ball and chain swag did go out this week to the people who requested it. This week means? Means today. Today. This morning at the post office. I think I said last week that you it was did. going out. It yes. had been sitting in the center console of my car for a week. And during that week that it was sitting in the center console, uh, the requests doubled. And now it had become a big envelope stuffing a problem. But if you requested a magnet or a coaster and you get an envelope in the mail this week, a plain envelope, otherwise unmarked, it will just say ball and chain in the return address and you'll never be able to look your mail carrier in the eye again. <laughs> there is no return address, we simply sh- the notation ball and chain. Oh yeah, we, we actually should get some kind of an interesting envelope just so that anyone who gets swag in the mail then has to answer to their their mail, mail carrier. Like what exactly is in there maybe it should just be ball and ball or chain and chain well, let's, I, let's I, figure out exactly what we're going um, to put in the return address I, I, uh, smokes on spokes perhaps but i did i did account it went out to 27 different states and uh when i was buying the stamps this is all this is denny's side hustle however it's it's, it's become has become my side main hustle, hustle. Um, and isn't a hustle supposed to bring you revenue and not have it outflowing? Right. But but when when are we going to start getting some inflow here? We're, we're, we're not. We, we're not we, worried we don't about want the it. inflow. We, we, we were happy. We we uh, suggested it, but we I bought stamps, and the lady said behind the counter at the post office, "Would you like sports balls?" <laughs> And did you say I have a spray that gets rid of that? I, well, I, I thought of that because it does sound like a medical affliction, like athlete's foot or a swimmer's <laughs> ear. And did you say I've just been waiting for you to ask, or what, would what I is... like them? <laughs> I insist on them. I would settle for nothing less. I'm willing to pay for them. Willing to pay extra. So, the ball and chain swag envelopes with the uh, disturbing ball and chain return address. And um, sports balls in the other corner will be coming your way. Well, the one thing that surprised me, you're, you're sending out all this swag to all these different states. 
we did not, you did not send out anything to an address in St. Petersburg, Florida. So the per- first person... We did notice that. Nothing went to St. Pete. The first person who, who wants something in St. Petersburg, Florida, will make sure to mention their, their name on the podcast because it's still a, a very popular city for listenership to the Ball and Chain podcast. So we just need to figure out uh, if, if they just don't have mag don't have things that magnets stick to or they just uh it's like an underground thing they're ashamed to be ball and chain listeners but um the first person from saint pete will make sure to give them a mention on the podcast um we spent memorial day afternoon taking the kids to a local amusement park kind of place it wasn't six flags but it was something like that on a smaller scale go-karts mini golf that sort of thing and batting, was, cages, batting cages, bouncy I, things. I was, I was bouncy things. Bouncy. Yes. There things. were bouncy things. There, there were bouncy castles, but there were bouncy yes. things. And I was waiting in line with my son and his buddy at a zip line, and there were a couple of kids in front of him. And at some point, a lady in front of us greeted a party of about nineteen people who she knew. And when that party parted company there were several more kids in the line in front of us. And I heard her describe to her friend that she was just a placeholder for the kids, like a human fast pass, if you will. And I was just wondering what you thought of that, Rebecca Lobo. Well, you know, I don't believe in the fast pass. Well, I don't mind the fast pass at Disney World where everyone has access to it. You go into your app and you schedule a time to go on a ride. I am philosophically opposed to the fast pass at Six Flags where you pay more money for the right to cut the line. I think it just sends out a horrible example that the more money you have, the easier things are and the less you wait and you get you know, a little bit faster instant gratification. So and, I, you, and, if, and I, yet, if I feel that yet, way about... And yet, yes. do you feel that way when you're flying first class or going through TSA pre? Just, just, just. Well, TSA pre doesn't really cost anything. You just. It cost like 70 bucks, didn't it? I, we it's, did it. but that's, no, that's very different. Because you're a frequent traveler, and so you put your information in, and they say, okay, that person's less likely to be a threat, so you get to go through. Yeah, I I feel very differently about that than I do about paying more for a thrill ride. I was just going to say, because if you do feel badly about it, I will take your first class right. the next time we travel together. Exactly. But yeah, so so that woman being the human fast pass, because didn't even our our son's uh, eight-year-old friend... Uh, recognize that all of a sudden I said they... I said when we were third in line I said guys you're on deck and he said we should be at bat right and he was absolutely right because well, kids have a very finely tuned sense of outrage when somebody cuts the line in front yeah. of them as they should well while you were waiting in line for for the zip line I was over in line with our seven-year-old daughter for one of the bouncy things and it was actually I was impressed by her she's clearly at a part in her life where they line up for probably almost everything at school recess going to lunch or whatever and as soon as she recognized where the line was she got in it and she got right up behind the person in front of her there was no way anyone was going to cut like she had a finely tuned ability to stand in line and make sure she held her space and of now, course that's because that's her existence monday through friday do you suppose they have the same subculture that i had as a kid i'm guessing you'd had a, of of headsies and tailsies or frontsies and backsies where you can give somebody i don't even know that lingo so no we didn't have headsies and tailsies and frontsies and backsies in well, elementary well that's school. where where you could you could allow somebody to cut your friend to cut in line in front of you directly in front of you or directly my favorite backsies directly behind you you could allow somebody to cut in line directly behind you you didn't have that no and it seemed to be universally accepted it was not anything anybody loved but uh like a presidential veto power you each kid was invested with power to appoint a friend but it was just one you could let one friend cut but but you're not letting like your whole posse of friends no because that would defeat the purpose that's like ways where if everybody's doing it then there's no advantage you mentioned witnessing a murky transaction at a park we were going to run and whenever we run we like to play a game that i call i may have never said this to you bike path bingo where you try to spot the x number of 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 archetypes that you would see on the bike path there's always recumbent bike guy yeah or not always the sometimes recumbent bike guys there's sometimes yeah, a couple of saying. them and it's they, they the have to have guy. the big flag on the back well the, you would have to yeah, yeah. So there, there's always that guy. There's a guy with nine dogs. There's uh, there's there's a whole gamut. There's the power walkers with the hand weights and the 
and the there's uh, not they don't hold the hand weights as much but there's still plenty of power walkers i was on a run without you one day and there was the peeing in the woods but not far away enough guy um a guy on his bike you know in in the full spandex you know lance armstrong outfit and he was coming at least in the uk they call them mammals m-a-m-i-l middle-aged men in lycra (laughs) Well, he, he wasn't quite middle-aged, but he was a... An, uh, he was a yamel. He was an yamel, anyway. And, and he was coming towards me, so he knew he knew that I was there. And uh, you know, about 100 yards shy of me, he stopped and pulled off into the woods. Obviously, like I understand, he, he was probably on a long bike ride, but he, he should have waited for me to go by, because instead, as I'm walking up, I see this brightly colored spandexed guy just... You know, relieving himself it's enti- 15 feet into the woods. It's entirely possible that he, he he bikes until he gets to somebody. Then he pulls off to the woods right. and, and goes to the bathroom. It and then be. bikes till he gets to the next person that does that. I think that's his, perhaps, possibly his his sick thrill. And there's, there's one place. And, and it, it's possible it was Lance Armstrong. <laughs> there's one place on one of the bike paths that we go to that we frequently see people and they have binoculars and they're bird watchers because I don't know why that must be an area there's a, a variety of um, of birds yes so there are birders there what else do we look for um, oh there was this was the conversation we had and I don't know if this would be the center square of bingo but recently twice it's happened where we've had a guy who was in his 70s at least in his 70s ride by on his bike shirtless and you know i know that at some point you're the age where you just don't care but i think there should be a cutoff like i don't know what the age should be in fact but i, think, I don't I, think i think he was shirtless in cutoffs <laughs> i don't i don't think that that's you know that's okay once you reach a certain age to be on a public bike path just free-flowing skin right. to the wind i would say the age the over under on that age is 11 and a half yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm right with you on that one. He was definitely playing the over. He was, he was definitely in the over, yes. And definitely talking about the under 11-year-old. We we were cleaning up our basement. I was cleaning up our basement. And on a bunch of the walls in the basement, there is our kids' artwork. From when they were two and three years old, it would just be you know strokes of the paintbrush from watercolors. And then you know their name and date. Oftentimes it would have been on the back of just a piece of paper that on the other side was a headshot sheet that I had when I was working a game or something. Some but, of them were moving self-portraits. Some of them were, were uh, landscapes. Some of them were, you're laughing. I'm... Well, yes, the four and five-year-old versions of those things. And um, anyway, so I took a bunch of them down. But that's kind of the, the, the question is, what do you do with that stuff? There's so much of it, especially when your kids are little. Not... They'll... They'll, they'll provide you four or five pieces of art a day. That isn't the question. The question is, how do you get rid of it? Because emotionally, it's, it means if I don't, if I, and we, it wasn't just the artwork. We had a stack of lullaby CDs that would sing the kids to sleep while we were out gallivanting. No, that, but that would, the kids would play as they right. fell asleep. We had uh, stacks of, of children's books that our youngest now, seven, has aged out of and if we get rid of those books and those cds and the artwork it means for certain that we don't have anybody under seven anymore right and that is uh it's just it's it's not possible well what we did is the reason i took down a bunch of the artwork was because we have more recent artwork one of the the fundraisers they do at the kids school is the kids do a piece of art and then it's framed and uh, you can purchase your own kids artwork a but, piece of, when you said you can buy a piece of art art is is one of the administrators there right. <laughs> anyway so i wanted to put these up on the wall so in order to do that i had to take some of the pictures down so i remember reading this somewhere along the line that's you know if you're feeling bad about getting rid of your kids artwork but you don't quite have any place to put it anymore you just take photographs of it so I have a file now of pictures of our kids artwork if you ever want to take a look at that Um, a bunch of books children's books we've gotten rid of although some of my favorites that I read to the kids or even some of their favorites I've kept thinking that at some some point in life I'll be reading them to a grandchild but uh, of course and they wouldn't allow us to get rid of the Backyardigans DVDs I wouldn't have allowed us to get rid of the Backyardigans DVDs classics 
but you did let them we are going to get rid of some elmo El- elmo's world and uh there's a yeah, variety you can still of, see of on stuff TV anyway, this, the, but we're getting this, rid of a lot of it i know it, um, it's uh it's that stage of life it, i mean and then it, it's only going to increase the amount of stuff that all right now it's time to get rid of this it's time to get rid of this so i guess it's it's the early stages of people returning my jersey should i send all those videos just to elmo i'll just put them i'll address a, a box elmo at uh in new york city where did where is elmo supposed to live on sesame street obviously i was just going but... to say if you don't know the street address right. for elmo <laughs> so i should just put elmo sesame street new york new york and uh return all of elmo's stuff to him well um the kids are still young enough not all of them some of them are in uh, put their headphones on when we get in the car and tune us out but three of them when we were driving home yesterday we were listening all weekend memorial day weekend uh, the Beatles channel on XM was counting down the top 100 Beatles songs of all time as voted on by their listeners. And um, we would always tune in when they were at like 86 or 43. And, and finally, we got into one spot where we heard the top three, and I believe the top three were Hey Jude, In My Life, and A Day in the Life. But I, we'll dispute that on, on another podcast. But, um, but we did hear Yellow Submarine, which kicked in, clocked in at somewhere in the 80s, I think. And... Uh, while we were driving, we were pulling down our street into our driveway after it finished, and somehow four of us, three kids, myself, not our daughter in headphones, and not you, but we were all singing, We All Live in a Honda Odyssey. And I thought that was uh, a nice moment. Yeah, well, we do spend probably as many hours in the Honda Odyssey as we spend in our home. We absolutely do. You talked about going out on the af- Monday afternoon of Memorial Day, one of the joys of this Memorial Day weekend was that there was nothing on the schedule, and that never happens. We were, our kids were supposed to have an AAU tournament, and it was canceled because there weren't enough kids who were available to play. But we had no Little League games. We had no Little League practices. We had no AAU. And it, this, it's, there was this blank slate for the weekend, and it was amazing. And then we get to Sunday afternoon, and you and I and, and a our younger kids are kind of looking at each other like, what are we going to do today? What are we going to do? And that's when we ended up going to the library and up getting a haircut and going to the Barnes and Noble. But it's so foreign for us to not have minute by minute something on the schedule that we were kind of blown away as to, okay, now, now what do we do? We don't have somebody who's given us an itinerary. And it's compounded by the fact that, as I've said on more than one occasion, there is nothing to do here. But... When I, you were talking about that, there's nothing to do here. And I said, all right, well, if we lived in Minnesota, it was a rainy day. There'd be nothing to do there either. There's nothing to do anywhere. I mean, if you're in New York, what are you going to do on a, on a rainy day with kids? It's not like you're just going to go to the Met. You have to do things that kids enjoy doing indoors. It's, there's just not a ton of options anywhere. If we were in New York or if we were in Minnesota in the 70s, we would have been going to the Met either way. <laughs> Nine people will understand what I'm talking about, but that's who I'm speaking to. You have nothing else to say for yourself? I don't. Earlier in the podcast, the doorbell rang. I don't know if you heard that or if Denny will leave that in, but the doorbell rang and it was uh, an insurance adjuster coming out to look at our hail damage. We talked last week, I think, about the crazy, wicked hailstorm that we endured here in Connecticut. He asked me if we had any photos or video of the storm and I had to tell him as I think we told listeners that when I thought I had the camera on it was off and when I thought I was turning the camera off I was turning it on so I have a lot of footage of my feet as we ran around during the hailstorm in the house and though we were not to viewer mail yet I did want to read an email that I got in my defense from a gentleman who uh, used to do publicity for must have been some film studio because years ago he was in Vancouver shooting publicity for the Chronicles of Riddick starring Vin Diesel. They had built all these amazing sets for the film and they were shooting the little, not a trailer, but a publicity uh, video for, for uh, the Chronicles of Riddick. And they were told they would have only a short time with the megastar Vin Diesel. So they had to get everything in one take. And the opening shot was going to be a crane shot a Vin high above the set, swooping in this establishing shot from far out up to Vin. And uh, even though Vin turned out to be a spectacular guy who gave them three hours, they only did the one take, thinking that they wouldn't have the time. And when they got back to L.A., 
to look at the footage, they discovered the crane operator had screwed up. When he hit the button to turn the camera on, it was already running, so he actually turned it off. We had no swooping introduction shot, and he is a professional, so I think we have to cut Steve a little slack here. Thank you, Jeff in Windsor. Wow. I wonder if that crane operator, camera operator, ever got another day's work. Well, ever I'm... got hired again. I mean, that's a pretty big mess. You, it doesn't really matter, but for him, that's a big deal. This leads us not quite seamlessly into viewer mail. Kids, it's time to answer our voluminous viewer mail, which has uh, been piling up over the last five or six days. Neither rain nor snow, nor heat nor spite shall keep these couriers. Rebecca, our first email, and that is at ballandchainpod at gmail.com. Ballandchainpod at gmail.com is a question for Rebecca. Rebecca, why do commentators and coaches dress up for basketball games? I think it looks so much better when they wear casual sportswear, especially the coaches. There should be a rule that only basketball shoes can be worn at an arena. No high heels, for sure. If you add a hat, your dress at the LA Sparks versus Connecticut game would be great for the royal wedding. It's too dressy for basketball. Thanks, Lori. So Lori thinks that we the, the announcers need to dress down for these games. Well, first of all, Lori will be happy to know I was wearing sneakers. As of two years ago, maybe, I've started wearing sneakers with my dresses. My philosophy is this. Over the course of a lot of years playing basketball, my feet were very good to me, so I'm going to be better to my feet, and uh, I'm doing that by wearing comfy sneakers. I try to let them match my dresses, but in terms of coaches dressing down, you and I, I think, have had this conversation. You have probably written about this. I think all coaches should wear the uniforms that their team is wearing, in particular swim coaches and wrestling coaches, Um, but it would be perfect if WNBA coaches were also wearing the the new team uniforms. You know, baseball managers already do it. But baseball managers are really the equivalent of swim coaches wearing what the players wear. I mean, especially it was much truer back in the '70s when guys like Tommy Lasorda had a huge gut hanging over their elasticized double knit waistband. But uh, still, a little silly and ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, I I think. Even though we're talking about sports, we're still at a, at our job, and and I, I like dressing up. I, I'm you know sometimes for a softball telecast, you'll see the the women in polo shirts. Well, they're outdoors and it's a hundred degrees in Oklahoma City, but we're in a nice temperature controlled environment, and uh, we're wearing our dresses. Although when I'm in studio in Bristol, it tends to be pretty cold. So when we're on air, you'll see the top of my dress, but usually I have leggings or spandex on sneakers. And then when we're not on air, I'm bundled up in some sort of sweatshirt. Sometimes Maria Taylor has a a, a blanket on her lap because it's so cold in there, but we still want to look nice and presentable when we're on camera. And I find I work better and more, uh, have more self-discipline if I'm dressed decently, which is not very often, but to work out of home. Yeah, sometimes you'll, right. you'll. Sometimes I will put on a, on a dress and heels just yeah. to write. <laughs> but sometimes you will dress up in a really nice, you know, like you're going off to a to a office real somewhere, job. off to a real job. Um, but you feel like you're more productive. Well, here's a tweet, which of course is at Ball and Chain Pod, and this is from Roger. And Roger said, "Hoot and dawdle brought to mind a word that describes a member of your team perfectly: curmudgeon." Roger, as he says, with no D from Colorado. So, which which member of our team? Do you think he's describing as a curmudgeon? I, I don't know. Who could it be. possibly be? Could it be the one who has never witnessed nor nor been aware of drug any drug deal. deals taking place in New York City or college? See, I, I wouldn't even. Or could um, it be easygoing? I wouldn't. Plastic, fantastic. Oh, go ahead. There's lots of words I would use to describe you, but curmudgeon would not yet be one of them. I think you'll become a curmudgeon maybe 10, 15 years from now, but you're not a curmudgeon yet. Well, he mentioned hoot and dawdle. A curmudgeon would point out that it was actually dawdle and hoot. That, that <laughs> was the phrase that came up. I don't remember the context. In the, in the previous podcast, we have an, an email here whose header, subject header is dawdle and hoot. Michael writes, I loved dawdle and hoot when I was a kid. I never missed an episode. Hoot parentheses, Detective Rock Hooten, former, <laughs> former Marine, now working homicide in the Chicago PD. Your classic by-the-book lawman sporting a brush cut and a somber disposition. Paired inexplicably, paired inexplicably with, <laughs> with Tommy Doddle 
young, silly, but with an unconventional brilliance that gives him a keen insight into the criminal mind. Boy, the cases they solved. And that car! Double exclamation mark. <laughs> now I so desperately want to see Doddle and Hoot, a Quinn Martin production, um, rolling over the hood of their of their equivalent of the Striped Tomatoes, Starsky and Hutch, Tango and Cash. I love those... Uh, I love those by-the-book lawmen who presumably only has three days to stay alive before he gets his pension. This uh, Somebody should write this book about Doddle and Hoot. The problem is we won't be able to carry it in Barn and Noble. Right. I thought Doddle and Hoot was, was an 80s wine cooler, but clearly it's, it's real uh, uh, fate is as a 70s-style detective show. And, and he's not kidding when he, you know, this could have been a show, uh, uh, Cagney and Lacey. And, and oftentimes they would have these contrived names, uh, you know, Fourth and Long. He's Ralph Fourth, and he's Sebastian Long. And, and, and they have these ridiculous partnerships that exist solely for the name of the show. You should, by the way, be reading these, um, these emails wearing your monocle, which brings me to MB sent us a tweet. And it said, did, Steve, did you see this emoji? And it's the emoji of the guy wearing the monocle. And we have seen that emoji, but I don't know... You know, sometimes you're you're sending out a text and um, and a, an emoji. You write happy, and the happy face will come in, or you write love, and a heart will yes. come in. What word do you write you put to, get, in. to get this emoji in? Perhaps monocle. Did you try monocle? I, I found haven't. it. I, I saw that tweet. I, I found it, and um, and there's also a soup bowl. So if you want to uh, tweet text somebody that um, your monocle has fallen into your soup tureen after somebody you know rides into a stuffy restaurant on a horse or something then then you can do that shorthand but uh, somebody somebody uh, tweeted or wrote in I can't remember which uh, and they made a great point that that has to be my new check take now we should explain to people the check take is I think I think we first heard Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David talking about it, but the check take is when you open the when you open the, uh, the little folder that your check comes in at a restaurant, you have to do like an eye-popping act of surprise and, and uh, horror at, at the price of the bill, even if the bill is not at all unreasonable. And I like to do that if we're at a pizza place and we get the check and you're looking at me to pick up the check, I will try to discreetly, fake discreetly, look at the check, turn it over, look at it. <clears throat> Express some and then fake indiscreetly shock, right? But then turn the check back over. But my new a check take has to be, as somebody wrote on Twitter, uh, when I when I open the check, have the monocle fall out of my eye into into my uh, into the soup, you know, in 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 shock and horror. Because as soon as you raise your eyebrow, of course, the monocle falls out. Well, with your track record of losing things, you'll definitely just need to wear the monocle around your neck. It came on a with a rope attachment, so just wear it around your neck. Well, that's, that's like like a little kid with their name, you know, when they're on their their elementary school field trip. And if anyone hears panting, our dog just came in the room. That's neither you nor me. That's the the dog panting while she lays. It's her on the her floor. first appearance on the show, Jesse with two S's. Um, Lauren writes: When I was a kid, I was petrified of my house burning down. No idea why. And I had a bag by my door with clothes and my favorite things in it to grab in case of an emergency. I'm not sure, but maybe have your daughter make up a bag so she's prepared. As I say this, I'm thinking that you will probably not get any more weather like this. However, it's time of climate change, so who knows? We were talking about our children were terrified by the the crazy hailstorm, as anybody would be, and and the fear of a tornado, which we had a couple. Uh, I don't know. You think that would make her feel better? Let's have your let's have we, you and I have talked about long ago podcasts about go bags. First of all, it would be interesting to see what she would put in it, like that she saw as something that she would have to grab and go. But um, I don't want her to feel that the, a threat is so imminent that she needs to have a to go. Well, bag. what I was thinking when Lauren said she was terrified as a kid of her house burning down for years, for years, we have had a box. Uh, by in the kids' room next to the window, uh, that on the box is a picture of a of a house. A kid, it's a it's a rope it's a little rope ladder that you can hook up to the window and throw it down the window so you can get it up a second story in case of a fire. Um, but on the box is a house engulfed in flames and a kid climbing out the window. And and it only occurred to me maybe in the last year or so that maybe maybe this box showing a house engulfed in flames and a kid climbing down a rope ladder. Uh, bathed in the glow of the nightlight next to it may not be the best 
uh, sleeping swing thought for the kids, and so I moved it into the closet where they will never find it in, right. in case we, of emergency. But well, at least they will because sleep. It was sleep always at night. near the window because that was the safest place to have it in case of emergency. Last week you talked about being at the Honda dealer and watching the other people there undoing their Velcro and having the TV on a very high volume. Well, Jean says the Honda dealer I go to has a cafe in it. They give you a free beverage. You can also buy sandwiches, salads, and breakfast items. Come on. Really? Where is this Honda dealership, this mystical place with a cafe that has food and beverage? I mean, it sounds unbelievable. That's a good idea. Um, Mine had had beverage. It had a thrumming soda machine with uh, most of the slots that you press were blanks. So you play that (laughs) soda roulette and who knows what will come out. Was Tab in one of the? Uh, I wish if it were Tab Fresca, I, I'd, I'd go for any of that. RC Cola, maybe a Tahitian treat. Any '70s soda that I would see thrumming in a machine in a hotel lobby at a Holiday Inn, circa 1974, I, I'd be all over that. But not knowing that that was the case, I, I didn't. I didn't dare. While we were overstaying our welcome with Matt at the Barnes and Noble the other day, he mentioned that he had sent us a viewer mail, and here it is. I love the podcast, kept telling my wife that she should start listening. She finally did. And I think I may regret this. She came home laughing after listening to the episode discussing Steve's gift-giving prowess, specifically his repeated gifts of chocolate truffles, despite the fact that Rebecca doesn't like them. My wife told me that one year for Christmas, she asked for some shower slash body wash type of product. I gave it to her. According to her, she tried it and told me she didn't like it and that I didn't need to get that for her ever again. Do you see where this is going? The next year at Christmas, I gave her the same thing. I have no memory of this. Steve, I sympathize. Why is it so hard? I mean, I just don't like, why is it so hard to remember what a spouse does and does not like? It's an easy thing to do. Well, you know, there's a popular television program called The Carbonaro Effect. Yes. Where a magician does, plays practical jokes on people. I think this phenomenon needs to be called The Bordonero Effect. Because that's my friend whose husband for valentine's day gave her a bottle of white wine that she doesn't like even though she doesn't drink white wine she drinks red wine and the best part about it all is that i got a text from her on mother's day and all it said was i think i got another bottle of wine (laughs) so so matt in west hartford you've been you've 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 experienced the the uh the phenomenon known as the Bordenero effect. <laughs> this is from Laura. Again, this is to our Twitter handle at Ball and Chain Pod. Instagram, I put up the picture last week. Our, our Instagram handle is also at Ball and Chain Pod. And I put up the picture of you wearing the monocle. So that, that was received well. But Laura said, I wanted to say thank you for the podcast today. I had an interview this morning and listened while I was getting all suited up and ready to go. There is something about your voices and how you speak to each other that is very calming. So we'll have to find out from Laura if she got the job, but also we need to figure out if we can introduce Laura to Roger because Roger thinks you're a curmudgeon and Laura thinks we have soothing voices. So there you go. Well, perhaps Laura has a thing for curmudgeonly voices. <laughs> perhaps This was also my, one of my favorite 90s kind of Lilith Fair bands. Last week we were the show ran a little late. I think we a little long, not little late, long, not a little late, long. little long. And Denny with one N cut some of our stuff. This is the first time he's ever really taken a uh, taken a significant yeah. portion of our podcast really and just who knows chainsaw. I think he was editing that one with the lobster bib last week. <laughs> anyway, he uh, he removed our long, possibly overlong segment well on, clearly overlong segment on all of the wonderful people who wrote to us applying for various positions as their as our resident ornithologist and our resident librarian i think we have two resident librarians now i should just say we debated it on the air we read your credentials we um but i think we various resumes to, submitted to us if, and, and we, if it we, still exists we should have denny send us that the audio, audio the audio file and we can put that up on instagram or twitter or somewhere because our residents you should get their due. Yeah, and, and long story short, they were all approved. I mean, Rebecca was kind of the holdout. I didn't she approve was the all of them, advocate. but you did. I did, and um, and so we should, at the very least, at some point, publish a, a staff directory with everybody's 
name, position, and possibly their telephone extension? Yes, without question. Maybe okay. a picture. Maybe a picture directory, laminated picture directory, like a menu at we, IHOP. We, we call it the Facebook. <laughs> I think that's a spectacular idea. Great idea. Uh, Robert Plummer writes to uh, ballandchainpod at gmail.com. I've not seen this one before. Melissa with no E and one S, and he contains a screenshot of his LinkedIn invitation from M-I-L-I-S-A, Melissa. Melissa, M-I-L-I-S-A, interesting. Correct. He signs his name Robert Plummer, parentheses, with an O-B, P-L-U-M-M-E-R. There was a stretch of time where every day in my email I was getting crushed with LinkedIn invitations. I haven't gotten a LinkedIn invitation in months, so maybe people no longer see me as worthy of LinkedIn invitations or... I don't know. It's not. It's not even like they're going to my spam folder. No, no one's trying to link in with me anymore. Well, never having worked in the corporate world, really in an office, uh, at least not in the last twenty-eight years, I don't get those linked. I mean, every once in a while I do, and I ignore them. Um, we have a lovely letter that I'm not going to read from Tanya and Troy. Not Tanya and Troy. Tanya in Troy. Tanya in Troy, and uh, very kind and a big fan of yours. And I just wanted to thank her for that. You want to say thanks to Tanya and Troy? Thank you, Tanya and Troy, you or wherever you happen to be. You read the email. It was lovely. It was lovely. And finally, um, Harold, Hari. Again, from another one writes, from Harold. Well, well, he's got some business to take care of. First of all, he says when we're in Minneapolis this summer, he would be happy to give us a ride from the airport. And does anybody actually give That's people nice rides because to airports anymore? No, nobody in your family. You've got a bunch of family who live in Minneapolis. Nobody does. No one outside of your father offers to give us rides. So thank you, Hari. In fact, he says, when when traveling for business, do you like to see friends and family when you're on the road? Do you do it or do you try to sneak in and out of town? Now, I know when you're in Minneapolis, and I think you'll be there this weekend, you try to sneak in and out of town without seeing my family. That's I don't know true. if you would do the same thing for your own family. See, I, I try to sneak into town only seeing my family. And um, or sometimes I sneak into town and try to see a couple of friends, but my family prevents that. I <laughs> I don't ever sneak anywhere. It's pretty obvious. And like if I'm going to call a, a game in Minneapolis, it's not like I, anyone can not know I'm I'm going to be there. Your father used to meet me at the airport, and he would drive me to my hotel. And, and by his own admission, he doesn't doesn't drive at night. Well, that was the thing. He used to drive me, and, and sometimes if Pam Ward, if I was working with Pam, we'd both be on the same flight from Connecticut. But strangely, he would make an exception for you and Pam Ward. <laughs> well, one night he was driving us from the airport to the hotel, and he said, I can't see at night anymore. And Pam and I, it was nighttime, and Pam and I kind of looked at each other like, okay, well, this should be fun. So we had, I've always enjoyed um, my time with your father. You know that. But now I always arrive the night before when it's when it's dark out, so I'm not going to ask anyone to drive me. And then the day of the game, I'm always super busy. We go to practices in the morning, we do work in the afternoon, then we have to get to the arena really early to call the game. Following day, no matter what city I'm in, I'm taking the first flight out, so I never have a chance to see anybody, um, or else I would. Well, by the way, my dad is the living embodiment of the old joke, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather did, and not screaming in terror like the passengers in his car. Right. <laughs> uh, Hari also adds, uh, when you guys come to Minnesota this summer, you should move your podcast from In Basement to At Cabin. It would be fun to hear some Russian banter. We will do that. We plan to do that. When, when we visit Minnesota this summer, we are going to bring the microphone, the windscreens, the recorder, just, just a microphone, the whole really. operation. So Denny that we with can, one end, perhaps? So that we can have the all of the Russians as guests. I can't wait to have your brothers, your sister. Maybe we'll get some of our nieces and nephews. It's going to be a, just a raucous, raucous Hold time. Yes. There's some banjo music from Tom of Tom, Dick, and Harry. And speaking of Tom, Dick, and Harry, before they play us out, uh, Harry has asked, uh, made an appeal. Oh, by the way, I should say that Harry writes that he is not the really the auteur of, remember the Harles Markley version of... Yes. of um, who could forget it? Of it's the, still uh, of Uber Confessions. Was it Uber Confessions? Brain. Or no, it was um, Viewer Mail. Viewer Mail. Viewer Mail. Uh, he, he writes that um, Jim Eubanks, the original Dick in Tom, Dick, and Harry, when there was only one, uh, is the musician and recording editor behind the Harles Markley version. He did both the guitar and the drums. He's our resident Billy Corgan, the Smashing Pumpkins lead singer who would play and record everything for his other bandmates. Uh, so, Jim, the Billy Corgan of Tom, Dick, and Harry, I want to give you your, your dap. And finally, this June 6th, if you're in Minneapolis, Hops for Haiti is the event from 6 to 10 p.m. at Lynn Lake Brewery in Minneapolis. Live music starting at 7. Tom, Dick, and Harry in the main room. 
Zach Spiroff on the rooftop. That's 2934 Lindell Avenue South. $1 is donated to Mission Haiti for every pint sold that night. And you know they're going to be selling a lot of pints that Lots night with Tom, pints. Dick, and Harry. I hope they will play uh, the uh, ball and chain theme that night. And well, people should insist on it, especially if you're going to go there because you heard about it here on the podcast. You must at some point start chanting ball and chain, ball and chain, and see if uh, Hari, Tom, and the three dicks will accommodate you. And if they do accommodate you, if you're accommodated by all three dicks, it will sound something like this. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in the cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.